This episode of See Here is dedicated to the long, extended, hard life of one Mr. Dewey Cox. Seven of the See Here podcast. Uh, thanks very much for downloading and joining us. Uh, Morris speaking here from Melbourne and uh, across the expanses of the other side of the world. First of all, in Bath. Do I say that right? In Bath, England. Oh, I've, just, I've actually only just recently had a bath. Um, <laughs> Mr. Yep. Bernie Stickwell. Good morning. You Hello, say that almost. There. You say that almost like the guy in. Uh, you know, the guy in, uh, oh shit, Biggest Dickest. <laughs> yes, he's, he's really in Bass. And, he's and, in Bass. And in, in, in <laughs> sound like Antonio Banderas. Um, mm. And of course, in uh, Seoul, in uh, South Korea, Mr. Tim Merrill. Uh, hello, Howdy. gentlemen. How you doing? Uh, it, hello. All, all, all the better for hearing your dulcet tones. Now, you may have noticed that we are short, one member of the Sea Here crew. Wendy, what happened? Where are you? You've had really one long July the 4th celebration. It seems that, uh, I don't know, maybe she hasn't um, recovered. Maybe she's got a big, massive hangover or something. I don't know. Yeah. I think she's laying passed out on the couch and suffering with a firecracker in her bum. (laughs) (laughs) Dreaming about George Eastman. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, dear. Well, anyway, um, so it'll be the three of us discussing Wendy's choice. I should say. Actually, yeah. before, before we sort of like go talking about the film and what we've been watching and listening to and all that sort of thing, like we like to do at the beginning of the show, um, I just want to give a quick shout out to a uh, Facebook page member of the uh, See Here Facebook page, uh, Hank Hellman, GGTMC contributor to the Facebook page there and all-round articulate movie and music enthusiast. Uh, Hank came on board last month when we couldn't make our schedules meet and while you guys were on Career's uh, got talent and uh, Britain's got talent. Did you did you do well, gentlemen? Uh, I came fifth. What out of out of four? How is that possible? Out of four. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, story of my life, Morris. But Hank Hank came on in um, really I think with only twenty four hours before recording to uh, discuss uh, the film Good Vibrations with me, and really he did such a wonderful job. Hank, you're welcome to come up, uh, back on the show anytime you want. Um, he was very self-deprecating. I don't know why, because he was very articulate and uh, uh, really contributed a lot of excellent stuff to that uh, show. So thanks very much, Hank, uh, for your efforts. It was um, wonderful to have you on board that episode. But here we are back with three quarters of the crew, and uh, we're going to discuss uh, a little film from, what was it 2007, was it? I think 2007, yeah. 2008. Um, yeah. Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. And uh, this was Wendy's choice. So, um, Wendy, if we um, say some things about it that you don't like, you can't defend it because, well, you're not here. Hopefully, you're listening to it. Tough, yeah. Yeah, tough, tough noogies. 
anyway, but before we go into talking about the film properly, hey, let's go around the uh, virtual table and uh, just briefly talk. What have you guys been uh, watching or listening to? Well, recently I've been, uh, again, as of the last two years when we were doing the uh, Love That Album uh, Best of the Year, the one band that I've put up there two years consecutively was uh, the Swans. Mm. And they just put out a, a new double album. That's well, amazing. Now, the one from last year that you credited, that was a double album as well, wasn't it? Uh-huh. These guys are just a juggernaut. They don't stop. And, I mean, you know, Michael Jira, he's like 60, 60 years old now. I think he's 61. Mm-hmm. And they're still giving it. I mean, and they're still... And what's amazing is it isn't derivative of their style. Like, I mean, they're actually evolving and going in new ways that I never thought they could do it. Like, you know... There's almost elements of like funk on the new record that it, you know it's it's just crazy, and they go into like these 14, 15 minute songs that are just like journeys that are pretty amazing. And uh, this played recently in Toronto for free, which is killing me because they played an outdoor festival on like a Friday night at like seven o'clock at night, and you know the sun's out. And this is a band that you got to see in a club or in a you know in a in a hall or something. And they're outside, and Michael Jira is looking around all these skyscrapers beside him, and he says, let's bring these buildings down. And they just blasted everybody. And and everyone was just amazed that it's just like, it doesn't matter where you where they are, outside or inside, it is a force to be reckoned with. Mm. And uh, I've been really digging that new record. As for watching, uh, yesterday I... I I've had for a long time. I've had the Universal Monsters uh, Blu-ray box set. Oh, nice! See, so, so yesterday I had a craving, and I sat down and watched the Mummy. Okay. For the first time since I was a kid, the original Boris Karloff, and I was digging that a lot. Yeah. And after that, I sat down and watched the documentary again that I hadn't seen in a couple of years. You might have seen this, Bernie. It's called uh, "Until the Light Takes Us." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a documentary about the Norwegian uh, black metal scene, and uh, when I say black metal, I don't mean I'm not talking about death and the guys from Detroit. I'm talking about these uh, church burning, you know, uh, NA Christian uh, total uh, psychopaths that kind of emerged in uh, in Norway in the you know, in the mid '90s. And what what's really funny about the whole thing is that like there was a band that came out of England in the eighties called Venom, and Venom were all just you know marketing. You know we drink the vomit of the priests. You know it's like we fart on we fart on the the Madonna's head or whatever. You know like they they just had this whole kind of you know uh, persona that was we're bad. You know, but meanwhile the second generation of kids that were listening to this and were getting weaned on it, they were taking it as gospel truth. And then what happened was that these kids actually went ahead and started creating their own variations of what they thought this was. And, and it was Venom who actually coined the, coined the phrase black metal. And, but, but, but in Norway, there was murders, there was church burnings, there was all kinds of like really, really like nasty, badass shit. But it's an interesting documentary because even if you don't have any interest in the music at all whatsoever, it's a really it's an interest piece to try to wrap your head around what they're all about. 
And I think the best documentaries are the ones that kind of do that, that, you know, when you really don't have, um, you don't really have a, a point of uh, how to approach it. And then, but you still, there's something compelling about things you don't quite understand. And you, you want to try to continue watching it to try to, you know, not agree with it, but at least try to quite, you know, uh, get the gist of what's going on. It's funny because I remember a couple of years ago when um, uh, Loaf on Silver and Gold was talking about that documentary Hero Dreams of Sushi. And I think he said, you know, who on earth would have ever thought that you'd find a documentary about a guy who has, you know, perfects making sushi being compelling? Um, and right. somehow they did it. And hey, what is, what is hey, this? Who's, who, who are you? Who is it? Wendy? I thought you were starting at 8 a.m. my time. Uh, we got no. hat. No, we said um, um, 7 a.m. your time. Ugh. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome back to the fold Ms. Wendy Freeman. Hello, Wendy. <laughs> hey, friends. We just been hanging. We just been hanging shit on you for the last 10 minutes, and you know now I'm gonna have to wipe all that out. That's all right. No, leave it in. It's good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we just we just said you were passed out on the sofa with the Fourth of July firecracker in your bum, dreaming of George Eastman. It's true. I thought it was George Eastman's yeah. bum. Well, you know, we take well, turns. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we're going around the table talking about our, um, uh, our monthly or, or yeah. what, uh, well, recent watches and listens. and. Um, oh, good. Okay. I didn't miss the oh, last. Okay. The last thing that I watched last night before I, I passed out was uh, I finished watching uh, John Frankenheimer Seconds again. Have any of you guys seen that? Do you know no, I never that's, have? That's on my on the list, no. but... That's on my two watch list. It's amazing. Yeah, that's a shame list as well. <laughs> well, Frankenheimer's got the the trilogy of the mind washing. You know, he's got the Manchurian Candidate and then Seconds, and then um, oh, forget the what day in May I think it's called, like the third film. But he actually did a trilogy of kind of uh, mind benders, and uh, yeah, I've you know, and it's really funny. It's you know, Rock Hudson. Well, it's it. It's basically, it's no spoiler, but it's about a guy who's living a pretty derivative middle-aged life and decides he's had enough. So his buddy calls him up out of the blue and tells him there's this organization that can uh, change his identity completely, change his face, change his teeth, change his body and everything. So he basically just, uh, they fake his death and he goes and changes himself into Rock Hudson. And then, you know, he's he, he's got he's to learn how to live life as a new person as rock hudson and it's uh it's all i'm gonna say but it's an amazing film the cinematography is just killer uh, didn't uh they cover this on ggtmc a couple of months ago or maybe i'm just getting mm. confused maybe i'm thinking of something think else was, i don't think it was that I, I don't recall i mean i know that i've heard it uh the films sort of been bandied around in recent weeks like as you know something oh yeah when i get my next lot of criterions that's going to be in the list or something like that but i right. can't remember hearing it um being discussed oh, on the show, I'm confusing it with something else in that case. I I picked it up last year when they had the Criterion half off sale, and it was sitting it's on my shelf, and right it was just now. yeah, it's going on right now. But it was it was just yelling at me like, "Watch me now, you idiot!" And I was like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> so I pulled it off the shelf, and yeah, it's a fantastic film though. I really like uh, Frankenheimer. I think he's fantastic. Good stuff. So Bernie, you're up. Uh, well, I could defer to Wendy unless do you, do you need a few minutes to. Uh... Get your shit together, Wendy, or? No, no, I'm half asleep, but I'm here. Oh, okay. Would you want to talk about what uh, you've been up to, or reading, or watching, or whatever? Oh, gosh. 
I've been watching, all I've been watching are just a ton of movies for other podcasts. <laughs> so, so, I, uh, so you, you said that you're going to be on silver and gold later on today, so what are you covering for them? We are doing an incest double feature of right. uh, The well, Dreamers. Like <laughs> well, it's so funny because I was on uh, Tyler's, well, I was going to be on Tyler's podcast, uh, the Macho Bullshit podcast, and talk about double feature of rape films, so I had to watch Straw Dogs and Deliverance. Oh, jeez. Nice. And much mirth ensued. Yeah, and then that was on Google+, Plus, so there were some, some problems with my uh, connection with that. I couldn't do it, but but I enjoyed watching Straw Dogs and Deliverance, and, uh, and you know, I was uh, thinking about John Borman, who did Deliverance, and, and how many great movies he did, you know, Hell in the Pacific, which is available in its entirety on YouTube, mm. with mm. Lee Marvin and Tashir Mifuni. Excalibur. Was, yes, Excalibur. And Point Blank yeah. with Lee Marvin and mm-hmm. and, yeah. uh, and so, Forest is pretty good as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So I decided to revisit some John Borman and uh, you know oh, rewatch. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking yeah, about he, that. he did Zardoz, didn't he? Was that John Borman? Yeah, did Borman he? did Zardoz. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why are we not talking about this man constantly? You know, I was going to say that Zardoz. That's a pretty Wendy film, isn't it? Sean Connery in his underpants running around for like two hours <laughs> with a ponytail. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, I was right. going to say too. Like you're talking about the incest double feature. If you ever want to check out a good uh, next to kin is best of skin film, uh, there's uh, it's called Spanking the Monkey. Check oh. that out. Oh, yes, I love I that saw, movie. Yeah. Saw that at yeah. the cinema. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty. Uh, Pretty friendly film. So, so Wendy, why didn't why didn't uh, Lofal Zom pick uh, the War Zone? Have you seen that? No. What Tim, was the War Zone? Tim Roth's, I think, only directed feature. Bernie, is that right? That's the only one he's directed. Yeah, I believe so. Oh, it's yeah. brutal this, by all accounts, isn't it? It, it is. Not uh, look, seen. you know what? When I went to see it at the cinema, I think we started out with about thirty, forty people in the cinema. And by the end, there were maybe about five or six of us left. And there's um, there's a reveal in the last ten minutes. You think that they've pushed it as far as they can go, and I think there were about ten people walked out in one hit. Um, Joanne went and bought it on DVD when, like, I think one of our local video libraries was closing down. She bought a few things, and I said, "Why did you buy this? I will never want to watch this again." And she said, "You know, come to think of it, I don't think I will wait." <laughs> so, but this, <laughs> if, but I, you know, it's it's it's, it's a so one bad. it's a one time it's a one time watch. But be prepared to. Oh, it's yeah. Ugh. Ugh. You, you have to have ten showers, I think, to get clean again after watching it. You haven't seen Serbian film? Well, there you go. I will, and I will not watch Serbian film. I tell you. Oh, yeah. also oh, another great incest movie. Another great incest movie is Lone Star. John Sayles. Oh, yeah. yeah I forgot oh, that. Yeah, yeah. That's and <laughs> one of the one of the best one of the best soundtracks. I think to to a, <laughs> so, such great music in that film. I mean, I know I'm mm-hmm. sort of digressing from the theme of the film, but yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a bit like a Luke Skywalker, uh, <laughs> Princess Leia sort of thing. They don't know, really, do they? Yeah, also right. Blue Lagoon. Oh, really? You've just gone and given away a reveal. I hadn't seen that. Really? Yeah, with Brooke Shields, and she's stranded on the island with her brother. I didn't know. Oh, God. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I missed out on there, such um, good films in my childhood. Isn't there a made-for-TV movie of Flowers in the Attic as well? Well, actually, yeah, you know, there, there, yeah, there was a sequel... There was a sequel to the Blue Lagoon where they wound up with their offspring. It was called the Goonies. <laughs> anyway, so um, anything else, uh, Wendy, or, or shall we go to uh, uh, Senior Stickwell? 
Uh, let's go to Senior Central. I've, I've lacked romantic about incest enough, so yes, let's pass on the torch. Right. Okay. Well, incest doesn't actually figure in anything uh, I've been digging, unfortunately. Um, I was going to mention two things. First of all, uh, I saw a movie last weekend called The Leather Boys, Ooh. Uh, which was, yeah, don't get too excited. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's an early 60s British sort of kitchen sink drama about a group of uh, bikers. They're not, they're not strictly bikers. They're just kind of uh, teenage tearaway types with um, with motorcycles and leather jackets and stuff. Pikers, um, pikers, not bikers. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, this guy uh, he gets uh, Rita Tushingham pregnant, and they're both like sixteen, seventeen years old. So they get married. Um, actually, he doesn't get her pregnant. They just get married. I'm sorry, um, but of course, it all goes horribly wrong because they're too young. Uh, so he's out kind of hanging out with his motorcycle friends. Um, and there's this character played by uh, Dudley Sutton, who um, you might know him, Morris. I don't know if you ever had Love Joy in Australia. Do you know that? Uh, we may have, but nothing. Ian McShane was this kind of uh, antique sleuth thing. Or you say Ian guy. McShane, I'm already interested. There you go. But yeah, D- Dudley Sutton was the sort of co star in this uh, long running 80s TV uh, program called um, Love Joy. There you go. Yeah, uh, yeah but uh, in this, he's uh, a mate of this. Uh, he's another of these sort of biker chaps, but um, he's very obviously homosexual, and he's got a thing for uh, the main character in this. But of course, this is 1961, 62. Um, so it was a very controversial movie at the time, because obviously it was still, uh, you know, not even acknowledged as being something that uh, existed, you know. Mm. Um, actually, so, actually, I I saw a documentary years ago called Big Daddy and the Leather Academy, and it was all about Tom of Finland, yeah, the okay. art, the yeah. artist, right? Yeah, and, and I think they actually showed clips of that movie you're talking about in the oh, documentary yeah. because yeah. I think they were showing how Tom of Finland's artistic style had created the whole Leather Boy look. When was Tom of Finland kind of producing his stuff then? Was it in the 50s and 60s? Or I yeah, thought it was yeah. a bit later than that. Okay. No, no. He started early. I mean, he was doing cowboys. He was doing cops. He was doing, like, yeah. leather boys, like, all of it, you know? Well, yeah, no, but, that's, that kind of makes sense then, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, when yeah, you were talking uh, about this guy in this film, I'm thinking, damn, this sounds familiar. I think I've seen this before, you know? Or at least I've it, – it, it just rang a bell somewhere, and I thought – Man, like, yeah. But, um, but yeah, anyway, it's it's a good movie. It's uh, it's pretty bleak, as most of those uh, early sixties British sort of naturalistic kitchen sink dramas are. Um, but yeah, it's good. I really enjoyed it. And uh, a big thanks to uh, my friends Dave and Rachel, who um, they gave me that and a bunch of other DVDs because they were having a big clear out of their collection. So thanks for the leather boys. Uh, and the other thing I was going to briefly mention, uh, I read a novel recently by uh, a guy called Willie Vlautin. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's um, oh, I've forgotten the name of his band. He's that's, the dude from uh, Richmond Fontaine. That's the one, that's the one. Yeah, I've got um, our um, good compatriot in the uh, Shooting the Shit episodes of uh, Love That Album, John Who the Fucker Wilco Stirrett, uh, is a huge <laughs> Richmond Fontaine fan and... Um, think he was uh, saying something that he'd heard like a recording from uh it, it might have been like on an australian tour that where he uh 
uh, he spoke at like some uh, book forum or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I've heard an album was called Not Down to the Wire or something like that. Um, and there's like little bits of poetry in between the songs, and I loved it. Oh yeah, that's Post to Wire. It's Post Wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic LP. It's really good. Mm. Um, but yeah, anyway, I read a novel uh, of his called uh, Lean on Pete, which is about a, uh, a sort of like 14, 15 year old boy who's got a uh, sort of drunk for a father um, and, you know, they live in poverty and things are a bit grim. Uh, and he sort of befriends this uh, horse trainer at the lo- local track mm. uh, and sort of strikes up this relationship with uh, with him and uh, a particular horse called Lean on Pete. Um, and it kind of goes from there and it's, it's kind of heartbreaking, really. It's really beautifully written and it's, you know, it's that underbelly of American society that, you know, I suspect most of America is actually made up of, but, you know, we don't really see or hear too much about it. And yeah, it's just beautifully done and, uh, it, it doesn't feel like he's just holidaying in people's misery, which, uh, you know, sometimes things of that ilk can. So, uh, have but you it was great. The... Really, really nice book. Bernie, have you ever read The Butcher Boy? No, is that uh, who wrote that? Was that the one that was Irish... made into the the Neil Jordan film? Right, right. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's why I know the name. Yeah, it's an Irish Irish author. I forget his name now, but I read that book, man, and it sounds a lot like what you're talking about, like right. you know, kids growing up in abject poverty and kind of a really grim grim ending or a grim outcome, and yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but he, he's written four novels apparently. Um, oh wow. And uh, if that's anything to go by, the others are definitely worth tracking down. Nice. Uh, and nice. I should just mention, he's got a, another band as well, uh, other than Richmond Fontaine, called The Delines. Uh, and they have an album out called Colfax. Uh, and funnily enough, some of the uh, novel Lean on Pete takes place uh, on Colfax Avenue. Okay. I think it's in Portland, actually. Might be mistaken. Are they similar stylistically to Richmond Fontaine? They're a little more straight country, uh, okay. and they've got a female singer whose name I can't remember for the, uh, life for me, um, but she is amazing. She's really good. Um, and again, real great downbeats, country rockish kind of album, more country than rock, but um, okay. excellent, really good. So, uh, yeah, check them out, man. Oh, uh, yeah, we'll do. I mean, because I like, as I said, I like what I've heard of Richmond Fontaine, sort of a bit of an Uncle Tupelo type feel. Yeah. Totally, yeah. I think they're a little more country, perhaps, if mm. there's such a thing as possible. But yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. I, I think you'd really like them, actually, Maurice. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely. Well, uh, perhaps I'll, I'll see if I can uh, sort you out with something. Oh, that'd be lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. All right. You're welcome. All right. I'll um, just quickly go through a couple of recent things now. Um, uh, I've had something a bit of a Scott Clicker centric type of week because um, uh, he went and put a post up. Uh, about a couple of CDs he'd recently been listening to from a, um, a husband and wife uh, duo, I think out of Toronto, called White Horse. And he said he was really digging on their music. I thought, oh, I'll go check out one or two of their clips on YouTube. And I just fell in love with this stuff. Um, they have, I think, a new album coming out in 2015. This latest one that I got uh, came out, I think, in 2012. It's uh, and I, I, I don't know, it must be the romantic in me, but I love the title. It's called "The Fate of the World Depends on This Kiss," and <laughs> he just the the wife's name is uh, Melissa McClelland, and the husband's name um, I'm not going to pronounce this correctly because my French is non-existent. But it's Luke Duchet or Duset, if you read it phonetically, and uh, he plays like 
everything, but he's got that sort of really classic low down twangy sort of uh, guitar sound. It's very sort of rockabilly country sort of thing, and they share the vocals. And they're just they're absolutely fantastic. Uh, I wholeheartedly recommend it. So thank you so much, Scott, for putting me onto them. And I've already sort of gone and run by him that maybe he'll come onto a. Love that album to discuss that record because it's it's just knocked my socks off in listening to that. And also in married with clickers relation, um, Scott and Kat are going away over the over the summer, you know, here and there. And um, they put out a call saying, any other couples or friends or just anyone who want to uh, record a couple of episodes of uh, Married with Clickers for us. So uh, Emily from the Feminine Critique and her fiance recorded an episode and. Um, Joanne and I recorded an episode of. Uh, oh, oh, there you go. That's awesome. Nice. Uh, I was, oh, fantastic. I, I was, well, nice. She um, she rarely listens to podcasts, and I, I just sort of put it to her. I said, "Would you want to do this?" And, oh, let me listen to an episode, and she did. And, and um, I said, "Would you want to do it?" You know, we'll make it. Easy. Well, you pick the film, and she said, "Yeah, all right." So um, we uh, spoke about it. It'll come on at the end of July, I think. Uh, a, a film made here in Melbourne called Blessed. And uh, a very bleak film. We were talking about bleak films before. And uh, uh, th- this is uh, an interesting one. Uh, 24 hours or rather, well, sorry, from early morning to late at night uh, in the life of a group of characters. The first half of the film told from the uh, the children's perspective and the second half of the film told from the mother's perspective. Uh, mm. And, and uh, yeah, well, anyway, I'll, I'll leave that till that gets put out mm. to see what we thought. But... Uh, Joanne, you know, she really, uh, I think she took to it. And at the end, she was smiling, saying, "Oh, that was a lot of fun. When can we do it again?" And I, so, uh, going <laughs> she's from, uh, a monster, boys. I, I, I she's think, hooked. I, I, I think, I think I have, you know. So, uh, but the married with clickers name is taken. So I know we're gonna have to find yeah. another name, or, or, or maybe I'm just gonna have to sort of impose on Scott and Cat to go away more often. Speaking of bleak films, quickly, I was gonna say, Wendy, uh, we yeah. have uh, the P Fan Film Festival coming up here at the end of the month, and I was telling Morris that I managed to book some screenings. Uh, one that I think you would probably be up for is uh, it's a certain film by one Mr. Tinto Brass starring Ra- uh, Mr. McDowell. Ooh. You nearly said Tell Roddy. It. You nearly said Roddy, didn't you? Roddy McDowell. No, yeah. Malcolm. Malcolm. Malcolm McDowell. But no, That's uh, who I Cal- thought. I thought Malcolm. My mind instantly went yeah. to Malcolm. Caligula. <laughs> a so few gonna- family hits. Oh, yeah, so I'm going to get to see that on the big screen uncut, so it'll be interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what's this? What's this? I, the, I, the Depravity Film Festival, uh, starting with Caligula, going to Salo, going into Serbian film, and mm. finishing, finishing off with The War Zone. Yeah, the Biodome. Oh, okay. Finishing off with Biodome. Yeah. <laughs> Anything Paulie nice. Shore does is an atrocity, so. Goodness me. All right, I think at that point we're going to uh, have a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about a nice family film called Walk Hard. Actually, Wendy, can you say what it's called? Because really, this is your choice. I want to hear you do the uh, the, the, the uh, Midnight Ride type of inflection on it. We're going to be watching some Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. 
And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. (laughs) (laughs) But don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. It's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife husband show high praise indeed so come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com it will save your life or maybe just help you kill an hour hey this is the ghost of the king of comics jack kirby when I'm not haunting Stan Lee, I'm listening to my favorite comic book podcast, Double Page Spread. Each week, Wendy Freeman talks to creators like Cullen Bunn, Mark Wade, Evan Dorkin, and more. She is one cool dame who knows a lot about comics. So when I'm at my drawn board in heaven cranking out fourth world pages, I'm listening to Double Page Spread. Available on iTunes, Libsyn, and the Stitcher Network. He arrived just in time. Walk hard, hard down life's rocky road. Walk bold, hard at my creed, my code. I've been scorned. And we're back from break. Wendy is back with us. Thank you, Wendy, for coming. It's wonderful. Of course. I love you guys. Oh, well, we love you too, but, you know, we just sort of thought, oh, what's she doing? I, I had all these images of vomit all over your floor after your big 4th of July weekend party and, and you were mopping it up or something like that, and that's why you couldn't join us, or maybe you loved Zom and, and Loaf more than you loved us. I mean, you know, we're, we're your homies, really. How could that be? Oh, exactly. I have enough love to go around. Oh, thank, thank goodness for that. Uh, Tim... And Bernie, we're all here to walk hard. I'll be doing a lot of that, I think, over the course of this show. Um, <laughs> so, Wendy, this film was your choice. So, uh, yes. start us off. Give a little bit of a pricey and, and tell us why you picked this one. I picked this one because I think this movie is really an underrated, hilarious gem. And I love the fact that it touches on so many aspects, like so many different musical genres. And uh, it, it, so many different um, uh, like uh, biopics, and I feel it does such a good job at mocking all of them, but also really it has like legitimate music to it. So I, I loved it. I got to see a, I got to see a sneak preview of it where John C. Riley performed for us afterwards, and it was great. I had seen some YouTube footage of him uh, performing live. I wasn't sure whether that was like at a screening or whether he was taking the act on the road. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he did, but he did it for us, and it was it was pretty fantastic. Nice, nice. I also saw. Um, I think I might have mentioned this the last time we spoke that um, Marshall Crenshaw had gone and recorded, or, or sorry, had written a song for the movie, and it was the title song. So on <laughs> YouTube, on YouTube, I saw um, a clip of him with his band actually singing it singing it straight well, there was no humor he, he, he's in the movie isn't he marshall crenshaw is he? yeah he's playing buddy no buddy holly is frankie muniz no, okay 
No, he he has he has done Buddy Holly. He in uh, that was him in La Bamba. Marshall Crenshaw did play. Buddy oh, in La Bamba. I thought it was him in this one because I'm looking at him thinking that's Marshall Crenshaw. I was no, yeah, no, no. But, no, but, he, but he, has, he has done John, John Lennon on stage, and he did do Buddy Holly in the uh, La Bamba mm. film. So um, all right, so let's um, go around the table. Any what what were your thoughts? So um, Tim. Bernie, first time watch for you? Yeah. He was, yes. Yeah. yeah. Don't Go rush. ahead, Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's, 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 my, it's, it's my British politeness and reserve. Um, i, I got to admit, this isn't the kind of film that I normally gravitate towards because uh, comedy is such a, um, a kind of personal thing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of stuff that people seem to find funny, I don't always. And and particularly this is part of that, um, you know, kind of Judd Apatow. Because, uh, you know, he produced it. Did he write it or co-wrote it? Yeah, he, he, wrote, produced he wrote it, it. didn't he? Yeah, he also wrote um, part of it, yeah. And to be honest, the, the other things I've seen from him, I've not been that hot on. So uh, oh, not I kind of wasn't... favorite movies ever. I fucking hate that movie of the passion. I'm not a Judd Apatow fan. <laughs> Well, you see, that was that was the thing. When I saw Judd Apatow's name on this, I thought, oh, I was dragged to a screening of Knocked Up. And not even Loudon Wainwright being in it for three minutes and writing the songs could redeem it in any way for me. So I walked into this very scared. Oh, good. It wasn't just me then. No. But I, I was pleasantly surprised. I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I laughed out loud several times. And it was... Uh, God, it just kind of went a little further than I was expecting it to in places, which was... Uh, I should uh, point out as well. I, I watched the uh, the two hour director's cut. Did we all watch that or no? Yeah, no. I watched it. Oh, I might be the yeah, only I one don't didn't. have it. My DVD wasn't that. So I was very bummed out. Okay. Well, uh, Tim, have this... you seen the the, the regular version yeah. as well? Because yeah. this is the only one I've seen. I don't know what was included. No, in the I, I only seen the director's one. But I mean, I have a question for for Wendy and Morris then. Um, yeah, did you guys I, think get... I, I think I know what question you're going to ask. <laughs> did you guys get the scene when uh, yes. Dewey's on the telephone with yes. Yardvark? Yes. Yes, yes. I went and looked up online. There was um, a website that described what the differences were between okay. the, um, uh, the, the regular theatrical cut and the director's cut. And just yeah. the director's cut had a little bit more schlong. In it, but yeah, I remember like there was like bits in the commercial. That's a, that's a hell of a lot more strong. Yeah, there yeah. were bits in the commercial that weren't in the movie that I remember, like the bit about like his wife marrying Patrick Duffy. At like, there's like a whole like '80s bit that was in the commercial that was not in the movie that, that I remember. Right, I was I was pretty I was pretty stunned hearing Patrick Duffy call somebody a cocksucker. Yes. Which is great because Patrick Duffy actually practices my Buddhism, and I've met him, and he's like one of the most polite, nice people ever. <laughs> so that's, that's uh, why it's called man acting. From I'm amazed. Yeah, what? the man from Atlantis. That's right, the man from Atlantis. Yeah. Give give a bit of a pricey because we're we're talking, and you know, we want to. We can't assume necessarily that everyone's seen this. So, um, uh, uh, Tim, give the pricey of the film. Okay, well, basically, like Wendy said, you know, they 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 kind of try to implement every biopic and every aspect of rock and roll history or popular music in creating the fabrication of this character, Dewey Cox, from childhood with his brother. And you guys know, like, his brother is kind of horribly maimed and horribly killed in an accident. <laughs> in a machete-having. 
Yeah. Right. But you guys know you, you guys know what that that's basically an allusion to, right? Was nope. that yeah. um Johnny Cash? Elvis. Oh Elvis. Elvis. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's both, isn't a, it? I guess. Yeah, Elvis had a twin brother. Yeah. It was killed when he was when he was a boy. In a machete. Well, he died in childbirth, didn't he? <laughs> right. I think he did die in childbirth. Yeah. But, and of course, um, Johnny Cash's brother died in a, a sort of bizarre gardening accident or something, wasn't he? Right, right. right. <laughs> now, here's another quote. It's so funny. I had watched that in excess uh, biopic recently, and I, and when they mentioned that Michael Hutchins had lost his ability to smell, I laughed so hard. <laughs> I didn't know that was a real thing. I thought it was something they made up for this, and so I was wondering, like, where they took that, like. In this movie, how he, he tragically loses his ability to smell, like what that was when, alluding to. Was that something happened did, to Richard? When did Hutchins? When did Hutchins lose his ability to smell? Right up to the end, when he couldn't breathe. <laughs> oh, zing! But um, no, it, it goes on and on. Um, sorry, can I just mention as sorry but, to cut you off, Tim? Uh, apparently, no. Stevie Wonder lost his uh, sense of smell after a, a 1973 yes. car crash as well. Yes, there you go. yes, was that what you were right. thinking of, Wendy? Yeah, I knew that there was right. something legitimate, but then I knew there was the Michael Hutchins thing too. So that's right. two popular singers who lost their ability to smell. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think there's been a lot of performers in the seventies and eighties that lost their ability to smell, but I think it was yeah, right. due to the effects of cocaine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but um I I just wanted to throw in a couple of things about my impressions of the film is um man, this film had fucking Everybody in it, except yeah. one guy. Who? Will Ferrell. Oh, thank God. Because <laughs> you're right. You're be, right. I'm because because John C. Riley was playing Will Ferrell. No, I mean the way I got it through the film. The way, like, I mean, like, let's let's put it this way, okay? I know John C. Riley can be a funny guy because I, I love the stuff that he did with uh, Tim and Eric. You know, I'm Dr. Steve Brule. You know, like I, I think that's pretty funny. But I prefer John C. Riley more as a dramatic actor, you know, and stuff like Heart Eight, you know, and Magnolia and Magnolia, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah like I Boogie mean, Nights, I feel Boogie Nights, he was like tragic, funny, you know. Right, like, half and yeah. half, right. You're right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. great but, actor. Yeah. Right, but in this film, I mean, I'm not trying to fault the guy for it, but I, I felt like I was actually watching Will Ferrell. And right after this, he did Step Brothers with Will Ferrell. Right, but I could see, but I could have seen Will Ferrell doing the whole Dewey Cox thing. I could, uh, you know. Do, do you I think you would have enjoyed it more if it was Will Ferrell in this role? Do you think he would have done no. a better job? No. I would never have watched it. I would never have seen it if it were Will But but do you know what I'm? Is it just is it just me or do you guys get what I'm saying? Because I mean, it, it just seems like Will Ferrell's in those comedies where they're always kind of like riffing on the '70s and riffing on the '80s and all the cheesiness. Like he's the king of cheese. Like the stuff in Anchorman. Like you know, Will Ferrell's the king of the uh, the arrogant man child who has to redeem himself. But the, but in a lot of it, like that's that, and this like, is that too. This is that too. Right, right, yeah, yeah. right. And that's what I'm saying. Is you know, and I'm not saying I didn't like it. Like I'm with Bernie. Like there was a lot of it I really laughed out loud at. I mean, you know, when he's all cranked up on pills and he starts, he says, "You guys playing like punks," you know, like yeah. that was pretty funny, you know. And my uh, favorite the, thing in the movie might be Tim Meadows introducing him to all the drugs. Oh yeah, he says, "You don't want this shit. Get out of here, Dewey." What are y'all doing in here? 
We're smoking reefer. And you don't want no part of this shit. You're smoking reefers? Yeah, of course we are. Can't you smell it? No, Sam. I can't. Come on, Dewey. Join the party. No, Dewey. You don't want this. Get out of here. You know what? I don't want no hangover. I can't get no hangover. It doesn't give you a hangover. Well, I get addicted to it or something? It's not habit forming. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I don't want to overdose on it. You can't OD on it. It's not going to make me want to have sex, is it? It makes sex even better. Sounds kind of expensive. It's the cheapest drug there is. Hmm. You don't want it. I think I kind of want it. You don't want this shit. It just makes you feel good and makes your dick hard for 24 hours. Oh, yeah. That's what I need. <laughs> I, I think I want that. it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't want any uh, part of this, Dewey. You'll, yeah. It's not addictive. Yeah. It's not, you know, yeah. dirt cheap. You don't want any have part you, of it. Have you guys ever watched any of Justified? The series? Yes, two of the actors. Yes, right, Raylan's right. Dad. The mother, Raylan's the dad. mother and the father. Yep, yep. Yes. Yeah. Mother and the father. Raylan's dad. Season right. Two. Raylan's dad. I was so excited when I saw that. Right. Me too. I love Justified. My favorite. <laughs> yeah, right. I thought it was funny. Yeah, have you got a thing for Timothy Oliphant, Wendy? Is that what it is? Who doesn't? Well, uh, well, I'm with you. Yeah, me too. Frankly. <laughs> See, but I have I have more of a thing for for fucking. Uh, why can't I think of his name? You know, the main bad guy. The oh, main Walton Goggins. Yes, Walton Goggins. Yeah. I love Walton Goggins so much. I feel he's yeah. so impressive. Right. <laughs> now, but the funny the funny thing about this film is how it, it, it transcends right through the fifties and the you know, the sixties and the seventies and all the way up to the eighties and that. But there's certain there's certain things that you can tell like they're they're really nodding to like for example like the donnie and marie show you know and then you know, that whole, uh, part of the movie that was fantastic i'm just a sucker right. for those 70s cheesy right. variety shows they're just right. awful but i love them right and morris so, what did you what did you make of the whole uh, brian wilson tribute i wasn't dreaming barely Not just a pleasing spilling of swill, just half of the kill, my vanishing memories, the paradise hill. What do I care? I'm in a field serene, miles and miles of salad green, for to Okay, so look, the, uh, uh, before I answer that, I'll say that I, I guess I thought that the film overall was a series of great sketches. I wasn't overall a fan of it, like as a, um, a thing that had to flow. I mean, I, I saw that basically if you're going to uh, parody a biopic, you have to mimic its style. Uh, so it's all very um, segmented, very fragmented. And right. so I, I couldn't dig that as an overall thing. <laughs> Having said that, there were a couple of bits that I did like. And yes, obviously the Brian Wilson, I uh, think, what was the song that they were doing about sheep? Um, right. There's a sheep in the studio. Um, and um, I, I'm going to hijack this here uh, because it's got to be mentioned at some stage. The, uh, the Beatles segment 
was <laughs> that. I, that I was what, pretty funny. Whatever other reservations I had about the film, I absolutely cracked up at that. I think I might adjourn to another dimension, take some LSD. You care to join me? Yeah, let's do that. Care to join us for some LSD, do we? It's mm. good for you. Built by scientists, it is. Lysergic. Gotta check with headquarters. Mum, Dewey Cox. Think you might enjoy it. Open up your mind to new experience, a new level of consciousness like we do because we are the Beatles. Why don't you just let him decide if he wants to take LSD, he'll take it. He doesn't have to listen to you. You're not the boss of him. Don't tell me what to say and what not to say, Paul McCartney. I'm sick of you being so dark when I'm so impish and whimsical. I'm sick of it. Hey, everyone, I'm I've got a brand new mantra, hmm? Mm, Paul's a big fat cunt. And I think if on the DVD that I uh, borrowed out of the library, that they had like an alternative version of the scene. And if anything, I thought that was even better than the one that they ended up using in the film, at least the, the non-director's cut. So I'm not sure if they and then, used that, I, that extended one in the director's cut. I love the bit with Amari Rishi when, he, when he's like, Beatles, do not be fighting in India. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that was great. Of course, they didn't like, credit any of them either, did they, the Beatles? Uh, no, it was what, no. Jack Black... Yes. Um, so, uh, what's his oh, name? He, he from, was uh, great to see. He was great. What's his name? Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman's in it. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, the guy from Saturday Night Live? Andy. Paul Andy Rudd Sandberg. Well, was it? Paul Rudd. Yeah. No, oh. Paul Rudd was John, and yeah. um, that guy from and, Justin Long was George Harrison. Right. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, and then yeah, they yeah. and then they go and they uh, and then they're going to taking the piss with Yellow Submarine, which I thought was kind of funny too. You know, <laughs> like you're lucky we you're lucky we let you play drums. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, can I just mention uh, uh, the the sort of various cameos throughout the film? People playing famous. You know, obviously we mentioned yeah. Frankie Moon is playing Buddy Holly and whoever it was playing the Beatles. For me, and I'm amazed to say this because I'm not a fan of this guy in any way, shape, or form, but Jack White as Elvis pretty much stole the movie for me. Listen to this right now. There's two things you need to know. Uh I'm the king, and number two is... Look out, man! Look at that. coming at you. You see that? It's called karate, man. Only two kinds of people know it. The Chinese and the king. One of them is me. Was that Jack White? Yeah. Amazing. Yes! Yes! Yeah. Unbelievably good. Oh, there are only two people who know karate. It's the king. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he was fantastic. Really good. Right. I was going to say, it, when, when you're used to seeing a, a guy, like pictures of a guy or uh, music videos and so on, you kind of have an image of them in your, in your head. But when you actually see him in a movie, what I'm getting at is that Jack White's actually pretty goofy looking, I think. <laughs> Yeah, you kind of agreeing with this. Well, when you you know from face on, he's looking okay, but once you get a bit of a profile there, he's got a weird baby face and a pointy nose, and right. it's kind of strange looking. A little bit like Michael so, Jackson. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, he's like the white Michael Jackson. Right. Oh, hang on, was Michael Sorry, Jackson the white Michael Jackson? <laughs> no, I was going to say that you know, like some of my favorite kind of you know off the wall seat of your pants comedy has always been the Zucker Brothers. Yes, I was thinking it was it was very very much it reminded me sort of, of Top Secret. Yeah, I but, totally see that. But yeah. I was going to say that the thing is is that you know I kind of fall fall along the lines with what Morris had said earlier about it being disjointed. I mean, it's like you know people like uh, for example the Wayans do the scary movie movies, right? And then they're in a, and when you when you've ever seen any at least even one of them. It's kind of like, okay, insert cultural reference 
here. Yeah. Insert yeah. cultural reference here. Insert culture. But it's not really a linear thing. It's just kind of like it's just peppered with cultural references, right? And that's the same way that they accuse the family guy, the TV show, of the same thing. And they're just like all of a sudden some random thing pops out of nowhere and it's like, oh, so it's funny, right? And it's like, well, really, what does it have to do with this? You know, I mean, but I mean, to be fair, you know, there was a linear framework in the film. I mean, you know, right. you know, it was the life of Dewey Cox. But sometimes I felt like things were just coming out of nowhere. And and I, and then also, too, like you're saying, Wendy, with the, the Tim Meadows thing, I really thought it was funny, but I think it was used one too many times. Because it's like every time he went to open a door, I went, Tim Meadows is going to be behind that door. And it's like, <laughs> yep, there he is. You know, it's, it's like, what's he got now? Oh, it's the 70s. Oh, it's got to be cocaine. No, no, it's, oh, it's lewd. You know, it's like, oh, it's meth. Okay. Yeah. I laughed. I laughed. I mean, there was, you know, and I mean, again, you got to hand it, you got to hand it to John C. Riley for, you know, for, like I said, for being able to sit there on a telephone and keep a straight face while some guy's got his swan sticking in your face. <laughs> I mean, you know, this amazing. That, you know, it's like if they if they ever had an Academy Award, it's like an Academy Award for the actor that's willing to have his cock stuck in his face is John C. Riley. It's like, yeah. <laughs> See, but it's funny because this was also around the time of Borat when Bo- and right, that had a right. lot of you yeah, know, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. I think there was like another. I think that was yeah. I think there were like a couple movies at that time that used cock to comedic effect. You know, right. That's right. the thing. And, um, one why not? Thing They're pretty I'm ridiculous looking, so why not? One thing I'm going to say, too, Ooh. at least for me, one of the most painful, cringeworthy moments of this film was at the very end where, you know, Jackson Brown and Jewel and uh, Lyle Lovett came out. And I'm thinking, right, okay, right. great. And then this other guy comes out. And he's starting to break and break it all down and, and do all the hip-hop shit. And right. and. and Jules trying to yodel over him. See, that's just like an idiot asshole thing that you see at those like rock and roll Hall of Fame inductions. Right, absolutely, that, like, absolutely. Right, it was you so do. spot on with those stupid right. pretentious. Like when Eddie Vedder is giving that speech, like it was right. perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that yeah, I understand it, but I mean, I and, and you're right. I mean, that's what they do is like when people that don't have any relation to anybody else, they're on stage at the same time when you know. It's like you got the guys from Slayer with Mavis Staples, and she's yeah. trying to sing over Rain and Blood, right? It's like, yeah, <laughs> that ain't going to happen. I understand, but that it was, was just uh, kind of like... You know, that was, that was Ghostface Killer who came on yeah. and was rapping at the end, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it was just kind of like, like, oh, man, you know? And I, and I, lo- I, like and I love... Said, the- I think that was kind of the point, you know, because those yeah. things generally yeah, are absolutely. horrible, aren't they? So. Absolutely, yeah. And then I love how I love how the very you know not to give any spoilers, but then it says, yeah, and then he died. Yeah, <laughs> that's how those things always end. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So the um, let, let's turn to the songs for a, a, a little bit. It's it's one thing to sort of you know do a parody, and I, for for me the reason that the uh, the rattles the you know the Beatles parody from uh, Eric Idle worked so well was because of uh, the songs mainly. I mean, look, I've watched the film a few times and, you know, I enjoy it, but really I've played the album more times than I care to remember because Neil Innes really tapped into what made what made the original, uh, the, you know, the Beatles material so great and he was able to do pastiche, but not like an obvious 
uh, pastiche, but he he understood the material. So in this film, uh, we've got uh, well, we've already mentioned Marshall Crenshaw doing the the title theme. You know, there's you know the the Brian Wilson send up. There's the R and B stuff, uh, and like that thing at the end. Um, that I don't know why that made me think of Neil Young, <laughs> for, for instance. But right. um, uh, but there's there's uh, I think the, the parodies they work. Oh, and there was the Roy Orbison one, and that guilty as charged. Good morning, Your Honor. May I approach the bench? I don't give a damn what anyone thinks. I stay up all night and I smoke and I drink. I'm a wanted man and I'm blowing town. Don't waste your time trying to hunt me down. The cops are saying I belong behind bars. And I'm guilty. Guilty. I'm guilty as charged. Like Bob Dylan's, like uh, like that one era Bob Dylan where he was doing sort of like the uh, the mariachi type stuff. That's what I thought that was supposed to be. Am I wrong? Uh, well, I'm not sure if that was supposed to be like uh, from Street Legal or something like that. Uh, I don't think they would have done Dylan twice. I mean, they did the uh, obvious. Um, like blonde on blonde period where uh, uh, what what were some of the lyrics um, the song was called Royal Jelly and a stuffed cabbage is the darling of the laundromat mailboxes drip like lampposts in the twisted birth canal of the Coliseum rim job fairy teapots mask the temper tantrum oh say can you see them stuffed cabbage is the darling of the laundromat and the sorority mascot sat with the lumberjack Pressing, passing, stinging half synthetic fabrications of his time The mouse with the... Rim, yeah. job, rim job fairy teapots mark the temper tantrum <laughs> Those two guys standing behind stone oh. saying I don't know what this song's about, do you? Uh, no, I don't, but... Tim Meadows is like, it's fucking brilliant, shut up! <laughs> Uh, I was actually see so that's that's another thing. Um, actually, we'll come back to the music in a second. But one point I wanted to make that sort of gets brought up with those two guys back there, and maybe it's a hallmark of those um, those parody films, like of the uh, the you know the top secret and flying high and scary movie type varieties that I guess I never really sort of dug was okay. We're giving you a joke and we're going to slam it home. We're going to bash you over the head with it. You get it? You get it? You get it? And there's a lot of that in this film. And that, but that's that's a that's a filmic point from a uh, song perspective. I was really really impressed. I thought that they sort of understood right. what it was that they were doing. Of and course, you know, stylistically they have to go all over the place because you know Dewey has to do the Brian Wilson thing and he has to do the the Beatles thing. They, he has to. Was it just me or did they do a version? It almost seemed like they were doing a riff on uh, God Only Knows. What in, in the uh, in the Wilson parody? Yeah. Oh yeah, it seems like they were definitely doing, you know, pet sounds. It was yeah, right. but they, it or, or, just or seemed smile. like that one song was like, like it just seemed like they were almost riffing on that, you know, like yeah. There was a slightly good vibration sounding one as well, wasn't there? Right, 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 right. Yeah, and I like the bit where they're where they're at the party and uh, his wife asks, "Well, where's Dewey?" He's like, "Oh, he's with that Charlie Manson guy. He's, you know, he's a really nice guy. What an awful songwriter!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man. So, what do you think of um, that girl from The Office, Jenna? 
So she uh, she, was, she um, played uh, Darlene, didn't she? Yes. Yeah. yeah. A little bland, maybe. She was okay, but I feel I, like she's think... not really a comedic actress. I feel like she's not yeah. really. She's like she's just a straight person. She did feel it as like you know she seemed like she was maybe a little out of her depth in some of the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, from a you know from a comedic point of view, whereas Kristen Wiig is it who played um, his wife? Yes, his first his wife. First wife. I think she was much better. She did a much better job. Frankly, yeah. multiple like, babies I, I all think, the time. I think with a lot of comedies, though, what happens is that you get certain people that are just naturally funny. And then, you know, it's like when people are coming in beside them, they're like, well, there's enough funny to go around for everybody, you know? And it's kind of yeah, like... I loved his relationship with Kristen Wiig, like how she was 12 and he was 13. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. The, the way they play, away with, uh, play around with age in it. For, yeah. you know, in the seventies, he marries Cheryl Teagues, but it's Cheryl Teagues now. But he's married yeah. her in the seventies, and right. Uh, or, yeah. or when you see, so um, what blew my mind was how good. Like, I mean, I, I'm thinking, man, like, how much makeup was Morgan Fairchild wearing? Holy shit! That was in director's cut. That was not in the regular cut for sure. Yeah, because Mor- Mor- Morgan Fairchild scene in the seventies yeah. when he's uh, and at the very his, end, um, Osman show period. Yeah, and at the very end, yeah. she's in that too because he's he's sitting she there is, riding yeah. her. Yeah, she's he's sitting there yes. getting it on with her. And then it's got uh, what's her name from Charlie's Angels, Cheryl Ladd. Uh, is it Cheryl Ladd? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, "Well, how come I'm not with you, Dewey? Well." I should have met you last week, you know. I mean, that was pretty yeah, funny. See, once again, that was definitely director's cut. That was yeah, totally. No, I don't not. remember that. No, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, was Cheryl Ladd uh, in the version? Not Cheryl Ladd. Um, Cheryl Teague's in the version you saw then. No. No. Really? Oh, okay. Oh, wow. That whole thing was cut out. Yeah. In, in during that Osman period, in the seventies, <laughs> he marries Cheryl Teague's because she's a guest on the show. Okay. And uh, they kind of yeah. wind up getting it on. And like I said, she's Cheryl Teague's as she is now, obviously in her fifties right. or sixties. Mm. And she That's becomes hilarious. Cheryl Teague's. Yeah, Cheryl Teague's. Uh, the same with the, when Cheryl Ladd shows up as well. She's right. Cheryl Ladd in the 70s, but she's Cheryl Ladd now playing at that, if you see what I mean. So it's did, you guys get, uh, did you guys get Dewey Cox doing the Bowie tribute? Goodbye, love. Goodbye, love. Didn't know what time it was, the lights were low. Oh, oh. I leaned back on my radio, oh, oh, some cat was laying down some rock and roll out of soul, he said. Then the loud sound did seem to fade, came back like a slow voice on a wave of faith. That weren't no DJ, that was crazy cosmic jive. There's a star man waiting in the sky He'd like to come and meet us But he thinks he'd blow our minds There's a star man Yes, yeah, star man, that's hilarious I like that ridiculousness where like we're not even gonna pretend it's hot young Cheryl lad We're using the real thing Right, yeah, right, yeah, right. absolutely, yeah, yeah, which is awesome. But the, all the musical numbers that they you kind of glimpse on that Osmond style show he was doing, right? I just thought they were great. The arrangements were great, and I loved oh, the yeah. way that he was really throwing himself into it, and he was doing right. like the dances and right, right, Do you know right. what I mean? He was really, uh, really oh, yeah. committed to it. It, was, it really it was worked. Totally like de- deja vu from you know the old. 
a little bit country, a little bit rock and roll. Yes, know? hell yeah. Donnie yeah. and Marie, oh yeah, yeah. It's just, I have a note here that there was, because um, you were talking a bit before about um, uh, Dewey and uh, Kristen Wiig you know, as uh, 13 and 14 year old kids, but you know they're obviously grown adults, so it almost sounds like it was poking fun at films like Grease or West Side Story, where you've got you know, 30 year olds playing 15, 16 year olds. Yeah, I think you could totally read it like that, yeah. I also loved it how she would always disparage his dreams. He'd be like, and she'd be like, well, what about my dreams? I can't build you a candy house. It's going to melt in the sun. I love when he's talking to her on the phone when he's in, you know, he's having his little orgy there in the hotel room. And she's like, right, okay, I love you, babe. We'll see you soon. Uh, you're not going to succeed. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get famous. <laughs> that, that he's is, like, yeah, okay, babe. <laughs> the, the, the wife from hell and the, and the father from hell. Wrong kid, dad. Yeah. <laughs> yep. She falls out the window, the mother. Mama yeah, fell out the yeah. window listening to my music. <laughs> I, I will say probably another line that I did like where um earlier on in the film where uh, Dewey uh, before he's made it and he's you know this is the big break uh, scene in the film. This is the one that's going to get him noticed is uh, he plays in the R&B club to um uh, to replace the the lead singer. Oh yeah. And, Negro uh, man. Yeah. And the, the owner of the the owner of the club uh, is desperately singing, "Who am I going to get to replace him? What are we going to do?" I guess just no music tonight, boss. Well, Higgy. People come here to dance erotically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll pay that line. That line was fantastic. Uh, that was uh, interesting to see that was Harold Ram- Ramis is one of the uh, the Jewish record company. I did guys as well, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I totally wasn't well, expecting. So. You know, you know what's funny? Like that reminded me of uh, the Negro Man song. It reminded me of Johnny Rivers' Guitar Man. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. You know, you know the song I'm talking about, Morris. Guitar. Hang on, I'm, I'm thinking of the. Is that the Elvis Presley? The same Elvis Presley song? Or? Yeah, but, he, but Johnny Rivers did that. I'm a guitar man. Dun, 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 I'm a guitar yeah. man. I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I've, yeah. Heard the, I've heard the Elvis version, but I don't think I've heard. Yeah, the yeah, version. yeah. Well. But I, I just know the Johnny Rivers one, but I okay. mean, that's what, when Negro Man came on, I was like, holy shit, man, yeah, okay, I, I get this, you know, like, yeah. And you say to her, you got the love, the Negro Man, 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 you got the love of Is he playing Negro Man? He is playing Negro Man. He playing Negro Man. Negro Man. Negro man. And what's his name? Craig De- uh, Craig Charles? Craig Robinson? Craig Robinson, that's who it yes. is. The Craig Robinson was the guy, the lead dude. When he's like, I'm the guy you want to talk to. No, we don't want to talk. You know, and that oh, yeah, was pretty yeah. funny. That yeah. was Once pretty again, funny. Because there's just... like that whole idea of Elvis taking the black music. And, you know, it was that sort of idea of like, well... You know, R&B music could only get recognized if it's sung by a white guy. You know, right? With Jewish corporate executives. Right. Yeah. Lahayim. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Oh, another uh, thing that I hit on, which is a thing that I hate in so many music movies, is it always bothers me whenever there's a studio scene and suddenly these musicians who have never met before can play something perfectly. 
And I love that, like, they totally took the piss out of that. Like, we've never heard this song. We yeah, just yeah. met you. Yeah. The, Fo- um, just follow me. I'm exactly. going to uh, give you one chance. You got 15 seconds to impress me, and then I'm going to throw you out. The way right. he says it is the sort of, um, oh, Sam Phillips type character. It says that, you know, right. if, if there was some way that you could maybe, in these 15 seconds, put together a song which you're going to play, which is just going to change the world and the way we appreciate everything and music in general. And he's like, well, sure, I'll give it a go. And right, I mean, boom, and, and you know, this, this, does it. <laughs> this comes back to what I said earlier. I mean, I, I understand why they do it. And I understand that, you know, that is the style of parody that this is. But it just seems for mine, um, on the one hand, I, I, there's too much of this. We're going to ram this home so you get it, that it's the joke. And I'm sort of thinking, I wonder if there was a cleverer way that they could have done it. Or maybe I'm just sort of like, you know, being too unkind, thinking, well, but that is the style of parody, which... Like, the four of us are really, really savvy to music tropes, you know? Like, like we're savvier watchers, you know? Like, the, the audience that this is made for is, is probably... that, Which is probably why it didn't do very well, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, it's a mainstream I... Hollywood movie, and, you know, you kind of have to appeal to the... Maybe not quite the lowest common denominator, but you've got to aim a little bit lower to uh, to hit more targets, I guess, you know? So, and Apatow um, does that all the time. <laughs> totally. Well, that's what he's built his career on, isn't it, you know? so I guess I've had this uh, conversation with uh, Davey McLemore, and, uh, you know, because he works in a record store, he has very strong issues with uh, high fidelity. Having been, like, a, you know, a big fan of the book and then, the, you know, the film came out, I, I think that it, that film took a, a good balance i mean i guess it was more about you know a, a love story than about you know guys in a record store but when they did the music stuff i think it took the right blend of you know, making sure that a general audience liked it but also making sure that music fans would like it, it, it i mean yeah sure you had barry and dick who were um uh, you know had their had their extreme characters in some ways but i don't think it really ever went possibly because of uh, Nick Hornby's source material ever going out of the way to say, "Oh, look, they're music nerds, they're dickheads," and you know because they don't, uh, because you know they just don't listen to a song for its own sake. Oh, yeah, they're you know, they're idiots, and we're going to make fun of them. I think it took the right balance in that in that sort of film. And uh, over here, I guess there was maybe they aimed too much to um, to get a general audience in. I mean, look, you know, music films often have a history of bombing out. At, uh, at the cinema. So I sort of wonder either A, why they ever get made, or B, if they are going to get made, maybe make them with you know, real fans in mind. And you know, the film I spoke about with Hank last month, Good Vibrations, was you know, aiming at making you know, uh, music fans happy, I think. The whole time I was watching this reminded me of Spinal Tap in a sense that uh, when Spinal Tap premiered, there was a lot of musicians that were really pissed off with it because, like, I know Tom Waits in particular and the Scorpions because both of them kind of had the same attitude where this isn't funny. This happened to me. <laughs> like, like it's not funny. This is this is this really happened, you know. So, I mean, when I watch some of this film, I mean, there there's little aspects where it's like everyone's like this is just fucking ludicrous. And it's like, yeah, but if you had really been a fly on the wall in Brian Wilson's studio, mm. Mm, I don't know. You know, okay, I, so, I guess, it, I guess it's fair that you say like, you know, real music fans know something about, you know, Brian Wilson's history during the pet sounds and smile period. I mean, particularly, I think that's the smile period. Cause that's the sand. Yeah. That's the, the sheep in the studio. And right. I think, you know, 
maybe you know the casual Beatles fan don't don't really know necessarily about what went on in India or at that stage that you know John and Paul were really snarky on each other. So right. you know, I guess they do assume some musical knowledge, but I don't know. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that you know the only people who should be allowed to watch a, a music biopic have got to be uh, people who know the music and and that's it. Astute, but I think that eh? they. But I think that you can watch a film and even if you don't know the history, if it's clever enough, you can sort of say, right, I pick up on that. Okay, I, I see where they're going with this. And but right. I don't know. look. I, I liked, as I said, my feelings towards this is. I like bits of it. I thought that would have made great Saturday Night Live sketches. And I, I, really, I did bust the gut at that Beatles section of the film. And, and there are other bits that made me laugh. But I guess overall, it was maybe a little bit too fragmented for me to um, sort of dig on it as a film unto itself. I think that's uh, that's a fair comment, Maurice. But um, Sorry, Maurice. I've got a habit of calling you Maurice. I do apologise. That's, that's fine. I know where you live. Uh, Maurice, I think that's a fair comment. But... Um, I think if you judge it just on its terms of it actually being a comedy and being designed to make you laugh, uh, you know, I think it was a success. I think it worked. Right. So, yeah, I think so. I liked it. I wouldn't have watched it if Wendy hadn't picked it. So, um, good job, Wendy. Thank you very much. Yeah, I think, too, like, like it it works on two two tiers. Because, like I said earlier, like, you know, and like you're saying, Morris, about, you know, there are the peppered references that we get, like Wendy said, you know, like the four of us, you know, we look at the tropes and the things like that. But then for the average run of the mill guy working at the seven eleven, he's like, he's got a penis beside his head when he's on the telephone. That's funny. <laughs> so, I mean, there's that, mm-hmm. but, but for, but on this, on the higher level, I mean, there's, you know, the, um, the references to certain aspects of history that we all know. And, you know, but I mean, but there was things that were missing that I thought too, and 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 maybe it was me, but I mean, I would have liked to have seen Dewey Cox at Woodstock. Yeah, <laughs> that would have worked. And yeah. Trick, like, and also, you know. and or also, I would have loved to have seen Buddy Holly say to Dewey, "It's like, you sure you don't want to fly on a plane, Dewey?" <laughs> oh no, I'm all right. <laughs> You know, like little things like that, or or I would have, or, or or I would have loved to have seen Dewey Cox try to be New Wave. You know, mm. try to you yeah. know like Dewey Cox and MTV like that would have been kind of cool. Like, yeah, yeah. I Do mean, new I mean, Trans album, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, the shocking pinks like Dewey Cox. You know, like I could see it, <laughs> but yeah. I, but as I was watching the film, you know, I didn't, I didn't think of this later. It was like as I was watching the film, I was going, "Okay, let, let's let's see where he goes from here." And I was thinking, "Ah, we're gonna go to Woodstock." No, we didn't go there. Okay, that's all right though. We'll, we'll keep on going. And oh, he's going here. Well, when's Dewey gonna meet Sid Vicious? Oh no, he didn't meet Sid Vicious. Okay, but let's keep going here. You know, like, and I thought it, I thought it was funny. But I but I'm saying like it it was kind of interesting because they had such a wide palette to to you know to draw from. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was just such a wide spectrum that. And I think that was kind of smart in a way that they didn't they didn't actually just, you know, focus on Dewey Cox, the 50s guy or Dewey Cox, the 60s guy. But they went right across the board. You know, like I said, there was so much they were able to dip from. And I mean, you know, you can't you can't do everything. No, no I understand but, that. But. I mean, I, I'm, I'm wondering whether they maybe attempted too much. I mean, OK, because like the big films about that period were Ray 
and walk the line, neither of yeah. which I liked. Uh, and I, right. I guess my, my problem with biopics in general, this is not just a musical biopics, is where they say, right, here's a life lived over 50, 60 years, and we're going to cover in a two-hour film all the highlights of that 50, 60-year period. Boom. See, uh, here's right. the scene. Boom. And, and to mimic that, they have to uh, ape, uh, to, to make fun of it, they have to ape that period or follow that, or I should say, uh, follow that style too. So it's not just me saying that this didn't completely work for me because I tried to be too sketchy about it, but they had to follow the conventions of Ray and walk the line, right. which I, well, I said, he, right. neither of which did anything right. for me. Here's yeah. an interesting you know, thing, like, too. That's why I Go like ahead, films like Backbeat. Like, I think Backbeat was excellent because it exactly. only Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got that written as a note because it covered um, a very short period in the Beatles' line. Right. Yep. Well, here's an interesting thing I was thinking, too, is have any of you guys seen the Drunk History series? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. Well, I've seen no, one what, what, it, what it is is it's kind of like history told from the perspective of drunks. And then they actually have like, you know, like famous actors portraying historical figures. And then they have the narrator who's supposed to be loaded. And it's like his his kind of variation of history, you know, and then they're they're reenacting history through according to a drunk, like a barstool drunk, you know, right. and it's pretty funny stuff. Right. But I thought for a minute, I thought, wouldn't it have been more effective or wouldn't it have been greater if they had had Dewey Cox, like you said, more as like SNL skits or, or Dewey Cox episodes. Right. Where if they had done like a whole string of episodes, like, you know, today we're going to see Dewey Cox in the 60s. You know, whatever happened to that guy, Dewey? And I mean, they could have had a guy like Casey Kasem and it's like, you know, today on America's Top 40, we're going to talk about <laughs> the lost honest and Dewey Cox. You know, and, they, and then they go into and they go into like Dewey Cox in the 60s, right? Or Dewey Cox in the 70s, you know, and it's like whatever happened to. Because like MTV used to do those way back where they'd go back and look at those artists that were lost. And it's just like, you know, Martha Stewart or whatever it was. And they'd be like, you know, today we're going to look at Mr. Mister, you know, and then they go back and look at that band from the eighties or the band from the seventies or whatever, you know? And I think that, uh, that would have been interesting if they had done it in episodes. Yeah. I, I, because, can, I can see that. Yeah. 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 Almost yeah. they could have done it in a sort of behind the music kind of style, I suppose. Actually, right. Right. Page, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I could have, yeah, uh, but, but, but like you're saying more, it's like in, in two hours, like trying to cram everything in, you know, that's, that's a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Right, but that's exactly what those stupid movies do. That's exactly what Ray and walk the line and, uh, you know, sure. Great yeah. Balls sure. of Fire. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and you yeah. know, the funny thing is for music fans, it's like, you know, we are, it, it sounds kind of selfish, but I don't give a shit. Right. I, I want to see the eight-hour Jerry Lee Lewis miniseries. Hell yes. You know, yeah. I, wa- I want to see that, right? Or I want to see the Hendrix six-hour miniseries. I want to see, like, the life of Jimi Hendrix. I don't want to see it, like, you know, kind of neutered down to, like, you know, 90 minutes or whatever, you know, and just right. hit the hit the shit that I already know. I, I, I want to see the, the long, drawn-out, like, all the shit, you know? And I well, mean, what was that documentary about Tom Petty? There was, like, one that was, like, eight hours or oh, something. Oh, like, yeah, 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 yeah. And also, like, the George yeah, Harrison one by Martin Scorsese, there was that. Yep, yep. Right, right. Yeah. I was going to say that again, is viable more nowadays with, you know, DVD and Blu-ray and streaming and right. so on. You can pick and choose. And, you know, sure. you can make something like that on for a smaller budget and you will reach a larger audience now, you know. So but in I, that respect, I, I think that kind of thing we're going to see more and more of, hopefully. 
but I think it's an issue of serving two masters because like, you know, this is how this is Hollywood. And I mean, like like I said earlier, you know, you gotta cater to the yokel, but then yeah, you also have to kid. Yeah. but you gotta cater to the people that kind of know what you know, what it's all about or what you're referencing. So and you can't really deviate. You can't really say, Well, we're gonna make this film for you know the aficionados and we're gonna make this film for the yokels. I mean, like they kinda have to kill two birds with one stone. I understand that. I think what it is, too, is that it's like a lot of directors, they would even say, I don't think that the average film viewer, regardless of whether you're a fan or not, has really the, the, the threshold to go beyond 90 minutes with Alice Cooper or to go beyond 90 minutes with Motorhead or to go beyond 90 minutes with whoever. But it's like, oh, contraire. Like, you know, and I think that's why that's why they come up like Bernie said, like the, the DVD stuff, the bonus material. It's kind of like, look, if you didn't, you know, if you had enough, here's the film. If you didn't get enough, here's some more shit that you on, right? You right, know? right. Okay, I think at that stage we've covered that film fairly thoroughly. Uh, <laughs> so thank you, Wendy, for um, bringing that to to us all. I, I you know, yeah, I enjoyed it. Look, you know, yeah, I, thank you for watching it. Me too. I, yeah. yeah. You know, well, you know, yeah. it was a bit more uplifting than all the bleak, bleak films we talked about at the beginning of the show. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you yeah. Know, so they watch after the wars. Come done. on, hated, hated is not bleak. Come on. <laughs> no, 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 the beginning of this show. This episode. No, I'm not talking about oh. the beginning of our show. I'm no, talking about the beginning no. of oh, talking about the war zone. And all so we have a little bit of feedback, and it's from a fellow called Gerald Miglior, or Migliore. I'm not sure. Um, Gerald, if you're out there listening, um, thank you very much. And you have gone and written, glad I found it early. I never... Oh, so he's talking about um, the Prairie Home Companion episode. And he says, Glad I found it early. I never connected uh, linking Prairie Home show and movie with Northern Exposure. How do you feel about Swing Kids and Almost Famous? Thanks. Hmm. So, succinct. Almost Famous. It's been so long since I've seen it. I remember you know, enjoying it at the time, but so long I don't think I could say much in any detail. And I haven't heard of Swing Kids. Either of you guys? Yeah, Swing Kids yeah. was um, the oh, Disney gosh. film. Yeah, yeah. I wanted. I, I, I'm probably confusing Swing Kids and Newsies. Which one was the one with Christian Bale? That was Newsies, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. No, I never saw Swing Kids, but but I yeah, I loved Almost Famous when it came out. I'd like to revisit that and mm-hmm. see if I yeah, see Al- Almost Famous is a great film. I I really liked that a lot too. Mm-hmm. I just I just remember um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Bangs. In, yes. Uh, in that, you know, another great performance, our know, dear departed uh, Mr. Hoffman. But uh, anyway, look, thank you very much, Gerald. For, yeah, thank uh, you, Gerald. It's, it's nice, a little, little bit of feedback. Thanks for so if you wish to uh, follow Gerald's example, uh, then send us an email to see here, that's H E A R, see here podcast at gmail.com. Really, send us, you can even send us some MP3 feedback, you know, record. Right. I mean, and Sylvester Stallone, if you want to <laughs> send us something, you know. I was just going to hey. say, we haven't heard from Sly, and he seems to have called everybody else, doesn't he? So Actually, he's even called you know, Wendy. Uh, yes, he's even yeah. called Double Pitch Fred. He's called Double Pitch yeah. Fred. What has he got against us? I think he's busy <laughs> today because today is his birthday. Right, right. Yeah. Is it, is oh, it the greatest the action birthday ever? It's- Wait, yeah, Christian Bale is in Swing Kids as well. Sorry, who oh. is Christian Bale is oh, okay. in Swing Kids as well. So oh, yeah, okay. the story of, it's a story of young kids in Nazi Germany who listen to band swing music from America. Okay. Any good? I don't know. I've never seen it. Oh, I'm just okay. reading it. Okay. I, should, I, I want to watch it now. 
Thank you for that recommendation, sir. Thank you, Gerald. All right, so um, now quickly time to talk about episode eight. I have not brought this, I have not uh, gone and hinted this to uh, any of you guys yet, but I think it is my choice for uh, the next episode. And we're going to go, and this is something that you would say on the trashy trio, we're going to go to Italy. Um, <laughs> do I do that well? That, that's how, that's yeah, how Josh. Happy. That's how Josh would say. He'd say, "We're going to go for, to Italy, or we're going to go to Japan." Now we're going back to Italy. No, this film is um, a, an Italian film, 1976, a film that I have I've seen quite a number of times in my life on the cinema screen and on video, and I'll be really looking forward to seeing what you guys think about it. Uh, written and directed by uh, one Bruno Bozzetto and featuring the um, writing talents as well of a wonderful, wonderful guy, Maurizio Nicchetti. And the name of the film is Allegro Non Troppo from 1976. Any of you guys seen this? Uh, no, what's that? Uh, no. All right, well, uh, you'll, you'll find out very shortly. But basically, um, uh, after going and saying that parody films don't do it for me, this is a parody. Uh, but this is, this is a parody of Fantasia. And, um, oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Right, so um, this features uh, this features animation. It features live action, and the the live action stuff is surreal and, uh, in my mind, very very funny. And uh, the um, the cartoons range from hysterical to um, downright absolutely ball your eyes out. It, it's just I don't know. I, I I've already gone and given my hand in. I absolutely adore this film, but I'll look forward to discussing in further detail with you guys in uh, episode eight. Uh, I hope it's easily trackable, downable. Play along at home if uh, uh, if you can. So, so you reckon you've seen it, Tim? I know what it is, yeah. Oh, okay. But I have never seen it. I mean, actually, there used to be uh, uh, years and years back, the Midnight Cinemas, they did a, uh, whatchamacallit, they would screen that once in a while on double right. bills with Fritz the Cat, or they did, screened it on double bills with uh, Wizards. Baskies wizards or I could, whatever. I could absolutely see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, look, the um, the director Maurizio Nicchetti. Oh, sorry, the, one of the writers Maurizio Nicchetti, and he's also in the film as uh, the animator. Uh, he's made another film that I've sort of been trying to push on the GGTMC page for people to watch. It's um, and that's also a parody. It's a parody of uh, the Bicycle Thieves called The Icicle Thief. It's sort of like a, a cross between the Bicycle Thieves. And Woody Allen's Purple Rose of Cairo, absolutely brilliant film. Track it down if you can. Uh, I, I love this guy, and I want to. See, I don't think I've seen anything else by him. I, I know he's made at least another couple of films. Uh, I'd love to see more of Maurizio Nicchetti. But um, anyway, I really look forward to knowing what you guys think. Uh, Allegro non troppo from 1976, and that'll be the uh, subject of episode eight of C here. I think on that note, we'll um, we'll finish off. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll see you next month for See Here Episode 8. Good night, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time you're listening to us. All the best. Walk hard. Now we're going to walk hard.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 